We have this idea that all of what we know and believe about Easter was all of what they knew and believed about Easter while it was happening, but it wasn't. The sunrise service is supposed to be this time of, of the new day has come, it's wonderful, it's great, but the ladies on their way to the tomb didn't even know Jesus had risen yet. There was no hope for them yet. At least they didn't know that there was. In the same way, as we now look back on this, we need to know where our hope resides, where our hope stands, and we have to build it on that which is stable. So what did they build it on? What do we learn? What do we see? We are in Luke chapter 24. And if you were with us on Friday for the Good Friday service, we did Luke chapter 23 and finished most of the way to the end of that chapter. And now we're going to begin in chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. But, and that is a good start, to a dark chapter 23, the word but shows us that there is a change. It's connected. He's building off what has already happened, but there is a change. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, when they went to the tomb, they took spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men standing by them, and behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. There's two main characters in this story. Oddly, the resurrection of Jesus, he is not an active character. Obviously, he rose, and he's the character the story is about, that the truth is about, but in this version of the story, he doesn't show up at all, personally, physically. It's about him, but he's not a character in the story. There's two main characters in this story, the women and Peter. Uh, the angels are there too. The angels show up to deliver a message, but they are just message bearers. They're not part of the plot of this story. The women show up, and that's an odd twist. And I realize we live in a culture that's different than the culture that they lived in, but do you realize that women didn't ever play major roles in things in that culture? 
It just didn't happen. So the Bible does this really weird thing. It promotes women to a place of importance. It's not actually a weird thing. It's just weird for their culture. Jesus has multiple women in his genealogy, which was unheard of. Here, we have women being the first people to find out about the resurrection of Jesus. If ever you feel like you are sort of outcast from the norms of of society, from the norms of, of sort of popular Christian society, just know that these women were too. They weren't part of the normal importance structure. Yet, Jesus chose them to be the first ones to know about him. Uh, Later comes Peter. Do you remember anything about Peter's story? About halfway through the book of Matthew, he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then the last interaction he has with Jesus, Jesus is on trial and some little girl comes up to Peter and she's like, I saw you with Jesus. He's like, no, I I was never with him. Don't know him. Then somebody else comes and says, you're one of Jesus' followers. He's like, not me. And then a third time, somebody comes and says, I know I saw you with him. And he says, man, I promise. I have never seen this guy. I don't know him. And then the rooster crowed and Peter is reminded that he was told that he would deny Christ. And Jesus looks at him. We see that in Luke chapter 22, verses 60 to 62. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, which was the sign that he would have denied him three times. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, Peter, went out and wept bitterly. So now you've got Peter sitting in this house. Jesus had had done this. That was his last personal interaction with him. And now Jesus is gone. Now his hope for Messiah devastated. And somebody comes running into the home telling him that Jesus is back alive. And there's something deep inside of Peter in being told that Jesus had said this that believes it to some level and he rushes to the tomb to marvel at what had happened. Did he understand all of it? No. Jesus hadn't appeared physically to them yet. Jesus hadn't descended to heaven. The Holy Spirit hadn't descended on them. All of what, or much of what Peter knows as he writes later and as he is later, he doesn't know in this moment. But in this moment, the character Peter believes and trusts and hopes. So those are the two main characters. Now, let's walk through the story. You got these women walking to the tomb to do what? to put spices on the body of Jesus. Why? To make his decaying body smell a little less bad. To preserve the sort of humanity of this person just a little longer. 
Because this one that they had put all of their hope in was gone. This one that they had, had, they had waited for centuries to come was dead. Uh, this Jesus, that their whole life and all of the pains of their life with the Romans that the Messiah was supposed to undo was gone. And so as one last act of something they could do, they came to put spices on his body to preserve him just a little more. And then they saw the tomb rolled away and they did not believe. Let's put ourselves back in this story because we, we as 21st century people, we miss it because we're like, oh, they showed up. The tomb was rolled away. They rejoiced. They were glad. They just thought, who in the world did that? That's weird. Well, I guess it makes it easier to get in. So the tomb is moved and they still think he's dead. So they go in. They see that there's no body in the tomb. And they still don't believe. They don't get it. What does it say? It says that they are in Luke chapter 24, verse 3. It says, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, right? So now they see that his body isn't there and they believed. Is that what it says? No, they were perplexed, confused, baffled, dumbfounded. They didn't know what was going on. There's no belief yet. They're seeing all the signs of what has really happened, but they don't get it. Because they keep thinking that means something other than what it means. So then while they're there thinking to themselves, what in the world are we going to do? We've got the spices. There's no body to put the spices on. Two angels show up. Dudes dressed in white. Why white? Because it was bright. I mean, their clothing was bright. And they're terrifying to look at. And these ladies are terrified by this. And they ask a question that I ask to my kids all the time. And Allison might ask to me, why are you doing what you're doing? Right? I mean, I see my kids looking through under the sink. What are you doing? I'm looking for food. You're what? That's not where you look for food. It's 11 o'clock, Josiah. What are you doing? I'm making an omelet. What? Why? We gave you food. Why are you doing what you're doing? And that's what the angels asked the ladies. Why in the world would you be doing what you're doing? Well, we're looking for Jesus. Why here? Why would you think he would be here? This is where dead people go. But Jesus is dead. No, it's plain to the angels. They know what has happened. He has risen. He's not been moved. He's been risen. He's alive again. 
And so he asked them, why are you looking for the, li- the living among the dead? And that becomes the foundation upon which we must build our belief. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is that solid foundation upon which we build our faith. And without that, we crumble. Without that, when the world throws whatever it's going to throw at us, we break apart. And it's at this moment that they remembered what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. Do you remember they said when Jesus told you that? And all of a sudden for these ladies, it dawns on them. This really happened. Jesus really came back to life. Now, all of this hope that had been building and then been destroyed began to not just build again, it exploded. Because they began to understand that the hope in Jesus was not that he was going to save their country from the Romans, was not that he was going to free them for a few years on earth, but that he was going to destroy, to beat, to overcome death in such a way that it never has power over him again. Friday, we talked about what Friday gave us. If you were with us on Friday, we talked about Jesus' death gives us mercy. The ability to not have to pay for the wrong that we've done. Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus gives us grace, gives us life. And that's what they began to see. And they could build their faith upon that reality. So what do they do? They run back to the apostles and there's a, Sort of a hard little moment in there. For the first time, the apostles are referred to something they've never been referred to in the gospels before. Did you catch it? The 11. There's always been the disciples. And the disciples is a widely used word, sometimes referring to hundreds of people at a time. But then when it was talking about the 12 disciples that we usually talk about, it talked about the 12. And now we come to this and they ran back to tell the 11. Because Judas has hanged himself because he betrayed Jesus and had taken himself out of that 12. They ran back and they told the 11. Now, they tell you which women it is, right? It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the mother, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them, right? As we go back to chapter 23, the women who were there are the ones who stood by Jesus the whole time. They're at his crucifixion, watching from a distance, but they are there. And these women who have been faithful to Jesus, his entire ministry, run back to tell the 11 what has happened. 
and the 11 are excited about the resurrection of Jesus, right? No. I, I, I have read this, studied this, and still I have to reread it that they did not believe them, but they thought that it was an idle tale. Right? I caught a fish this big. It's this big, right? Two of them. You just made that up. He's in back alive. That doesn't happen. And even if it did, who would Jesus have revealed this truth to first? The women? No. To the disciples, to the 11. That's who would have known first. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. So they don't believe. They've spent months, even years with Jesus, hearing him, listening to him, learning from him, mimicking him, watching him perform miracles, watching him perform miracles through them. And yet when this moment comes, they don't believe except for the one guy who's left who should have made himself the last one to believe because he's already shown that he's weak. But Peter, but Peter rose. So you've got 10 more guys mocking, let's say, this resurrection nonsense. But Peter rose irrespective of them, and ran to the tomb, stooping to look in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. If we read the account out of the book of John, we'll see that John actually ran with him. So John also was wondering. John also followed. They got there, and Peter went in, and then the angels speak to them, and all of a sudden, the truth of this reality begins to sink in. That their lives could be founded on the resurrection of Jesus, a thing that could not happen, but did. Their faith could be founded on that, not on their experience, could be founded on the resurrection of Jesus, not on their thoughts, not on their ability to argue, not on their theological prowess, not on the number of scriptures they had memorized, not on the times they had gone to church or how much money they'd given to the synagogue, not on how good they were as Jews, but could be founded on this thing over here that even a Peter who had forsaken Christ, could found his faith on. The actual, true resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because the question becomes, now what do we do? Right now that we see the, the faith that Peter has, it's going to be grown, going to be changed, going to be developed because he's going to fail yet again multiple times. Not in the same way, but he will fail. The question becomes, what do we do? 
what's expected of us? What do our lives look like now taking the lessons and truths from that story and imposing them or superimposing them on our lives? What does it look like? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ Jesus died for our sins Friday, mercy in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and was raised on the third day to give us grace according to the scriptures. That becomes now a, a one or two verse section that is the gospel. Christ Jesus died, was buried, and came back to life according to what the scripture said was going to happen because in Isaiah 53 verse 10, it says that it was God's will to crush him, to pay for penalty of sin, to pay our debt. Says in verses five and six that we were pierced or he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that brought us life, that brought us the ability to not die for our sins was put on him, though he didn't deserve it. And when we believe that, belief is a real thing and it requires real action. When we believe that Jesus actually died and actually came back because we were incapable of paying it on our own, when we believe that he did that in our place, then Ephesians chapter 1 says in verses 13 and 14, it says that in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, this Jesus who died, was buried and rose back from the dead, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, life in heaven. Friends, we're offered by no value of our own by no work of our own, by no ability of our own, by no action of our own. We are offered life. For if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10. For all, all, irrespective of race, wealth, past, present, future, irrespective of the mistakes you have made or will make, irrespective of anything that you could count for all, Romans 10, 13, who call on the name of the Lord and believe in the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? Because when it says here, and this is important to understand, because if we take this verse away from the verses that came before it, it sounds like if you say, Ah, oh, Jesus, then you're good. But that's not what it says. 
verses 9 and 10 say that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, the one we follow, the one we obey, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. All who believe, who call in such a way as was delineated in verses 9 and 10, laid out that we confess and believe. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. Everyone who does that will be saved. Do you know what things the world around us can do to make that not true? Nothing. So here comes the twofold reality. One, it does not matter what you've done who you are, where you've been. Trust in Jesus gives salvation. Two, if that is true in our lives and we are not taking it to the people around us who need that message, then we should ask if that was really true. And I know that sounds harsh. I know that sounds hard. But if we really believe that the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone, faith that he died, was buried, and came back to life, and we're not sharing that with the people who need to know that, then we probably don't really believe it as much as we think we do. That's the reality of Easter morning. Easter morning is exciting and fun. It's joyful. It's it's exhilarating and it's heavy. And it's actually a little bit hard. Because if Easter is true, then all of my life needs to point to it being true. Not just Sunday on April 9th, not just each Sunday, but all the time. Our lives need to point to that being a reality that we believe in because the foundation, the firm foundation for our faith must be the actual death and the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then we will have a faith that is solid. And when the craziness of the world comes at us, it won't break us because it's not built on how well we can think, how well we can interpret. It's not built on anything other than Jesus died and Jesus came back to life. For it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of our own doing. It is the free gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works as a result of that grace, which God prepared in advance that we should do. That, that is Easter. I love this day. It is fun. It is exhausting. It is fun. We're going to pray. And we've got one last song, and then there is food in the gym if you would like to join us. We would love for you to. Like I said, if I haven't had a chance to particularly meet you, I would love that opportunity to shake your hand, to thank you for being here, just have an opportunity to know you. And if you don't know if you trust in Jesus in that way, come talk to me. If you know that you hadn't in the past and you want to, come talk to me.
If you know that you already do, come talk to me. I like people. I like talking. But come tell me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate your death, to celebrate your resurrection, to celebrate the life that you offer to us in you. We pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that you would be the centerpiece of all that we think and all that we do. Father, we love you. Jesus, we adore you. Holy Spirit, we depend on you. We are incapable of being who you've called us to be on our own. We are incapable of taking that message on our own. We are incapable of almost everything. 